The Secrets of Star Wars is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. I am Emily Swallow, also known as the Armorer on The Mandalorian. And I'm just giving a little shout out to the Secrets of Star Wars podcast because this is the way. You're listening to the Secrets of Star Wars episode 171. Hello there. It's a power that Jedi have that lets them control people and make things float. Impressive. Every word in that sense was wrong. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I find your lack of faith disturbing. It's against my programming to impersonate a dead. That's not how the Force works. Force is with me, and I am with the Force, and I fear nothing. Remember... The Force will be with you, always. Hey everyone, I'm Angela Ciolana, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars, where we talk about everything connected to that galaxy far, far away. From movies to books to TV shows and more, we're talking about the deeper themes and meanings found in Star Wars. Today, we are diving into the third episode in the Ahsoka series, and our crew consists of, first of all, we've got old Ben, Mike Creevy. Hiya, Mike. Hello there. Oh, good to hear that again. And <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> welcome back to uh, Thomas Salerno, uh, who shall henceforth be known as Master Ikrit. Hey, everybody. It's great to be here. <laughs> and I, I wonder how many people will get my Deep Cut Legends reference uh, moniker. <laughs> <laughs> well, Thomas, you know, some of our listeners may know you from SQPN's other podcasts, especially Secrets of Middle Earth. But uh, since you just joined the crew of The Secrets of Star Wars uh, last episode, we uh, also expect you to be around for a longer time. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself and uh, your connection to Star Wars? Yeah. So, uh, again, I'm, yeah, I'm on Secrets of Middle Earth, Secrets of Movies and TV Shows. I've been a fan of SQPN and particularly of this podcast for uh, Secrets of Star Wars for a while. Um, in terms of my relationship with Star Wars, I think it goes back to when uh, the first time I ever saw Star Wars was when A New Hope was was re-released for the 20th anniversary in 97 in theaters. I saw that with my best friend at the time, but then really didn't. It's funny. That's the first time I saw Star Wars, but I really became a Star Wars fan when the special editions were released on VHS. Because my brother and I watched those <laughs> over and over and over again. And it's it, it's always interesting because I, I like to thank my younger brother for being the, the Star Wars fanboy first. You know, I mm. liked Star Wars, but it was really his thing. And, you know, when brothers compete, it's like, you know, <laughs> oh, well, like Star Wars is kind of your thing. And I pretended to not like it. But secretly, I was this mega Star Wars fan. And of course, as you grow older, you grow out of that, at least in our case, that sibling rivalry thing. So we've enjoyed Star Wars for years and years together, you know, saw the prequels in theaters when they came out, saw the sequels, loved it, have been loving these these shows that have come out. And we still talk Star Wars incessantly, like anyone who knows me or my brother knows that if you put the two of us in a room together, we will probably <laughs> talk Star Wars for at least an hour, like at, at least. And if, if no one stops us, like <laughs> we'll just go on and on and on. But yeah, Star Wars is probably my my second favorite fictional world after Tolkien's Middle Earth. And, and some days it's almost equal to it. I just love science fantasy. I love the sort of fantasy in space aesthetic of Star Wars. And I've also, you know, as a a bookworm, I've been reading the Star Wars books for a long time. I can't claim to have read all of them, but my uh, my little moniker, uh, Master Ikrit, comes from a, uh, a Jedi master from the old Legends continuity, Ikrit. He's kind of this little fuzzy animal-looking Jedi. <laughs> he was trained by Yoda, and he appears in the Junior Jedi Knights novels, which were some of the first Star Wars novels I ever read. 
Um, they're about Luke's Jedi Academy that he found Zong Yavin for. And I just like Ikrid. I think he's a fun character. He's one of those non-humanoid Jedi. You know, we have so many mm-hmm. humanoid Jedi, very few like Yoda and Ikrit who are non-humanoid. And Ikrit has kind of this sort of, like Yoda, he doesn't like to use a lightsaber. He likes non-violent conflict resolution. And I've always just liked him as a character. And I love obscure Star Wars references because the other thing I did as a kid was consume those essential Star Wars guides <laughs> where they had like all the facts about the ships and planets and stuff. So I'm I'm glad to be here finally on Secrets of Star Wars so I can geek out about this awesome universe with you all. <laughs> yes, sir. Well, we're geeking out about apparently several galaxies now. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm getting nervous. No. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so getting into this week's episode, part three, which is called Time to Fly. Uh, We are um, finding ourselves in uh, some politics as well as some space battles and some force training. Um, So basically just, you know, if you've if you're listening now, you should you should have watched the episode. So I'm just going to give you a one sentence summary here just to remind you, for those of you who may be listening far, far into the future. Hera tangles with New Republic politics while Ahsoka and Sabine Wren voyage to a distant planet. That's from StarWars.com. And might I add, Hu Yang scans the Eye of Scion slower than your 2006 HP printer scanner. Because that's what I really felt. <laughs> yeah. I felt that in my bones. Okay, <laughs> All those times when you're just like, please, would you hurry up? Um, okay, so before we dive in, we want to give a brief shout out and thank you to the folks that make this podcast possible, our patrons, including... Nicole H, Carl H, Chris S, Darren W, and Pamela F. And if you want to help StarQuest continue our mission, please consider becoming a patron like these awesome folks at sqpn.com slash give. All right, so guys, what were your first impressions overall of part three? Uh, Mike, we'll start with you. In Hu Yang's defense, <laughs> I, I just I was checking Wikipedia here. Sorry if you hear me typing. I, apparently, he was created twenty five thousand twenty years BBY. So oh, okay, apparently okay, so he's two thousand and six eighty right. So he's, for 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 a model who's yeah, for a computer who's twenty five thousand I guess what um, twenty nine years old or something at this point. That's that's. That's not too bad, I guess. But, um, I well, there's so much, you know, and we're going to talk about so many things here tonight. I'll keep it brief here. I, just, I wrote down. Uh, I just keep getting this. I know the word's a little dated now. This was like all the rage like ten years ago, but like epic uh, kept coming to mind. Not not just for this episode, but the whole series. Um, and I know I, I've um, this is my first time on for anything for this uh, this season. But I, I won't say much about the, the the first two episodes, but I think it applies to those two. Uh, I just keep really getting this this cinematic vibe off it, you know. And um, I mean, I I loved Andor, I, you know, for its own reasons. I I, I love uh, Mandalorian. I love all these these uh, live action Star Wars that we get. Uh, and I've said many times, you know, I, nothing's perfect. I've got some issues, some things I would maybe do differently or like to see different. But uh, as I've said many times on the show before, the last few years. I'm not going to complain about live action <laughs> Star Wars, like being force fed to me, like every few months. I mean, like I never, I never thought this would happen until just a few years ago. So, uh, so suffice that, you know, suffice to say that's been a real, uh, just joy that we have this content, of course, but, but with this show specifically that the word cinematic just keeps coming back to me. It, it really feels sharp and, and well done. And it's, it's, it just seems like they didn't really cut any corners with it so far, you know? And, um, I'm looking for, honestly, I'm looking forward already to the behind the scenes stuff later. And like, if they do Disney gallery on it, cause I would just love to learn more about how this came about. Um, and I'm sure we'll get that as we go, but those are my first thoughts. <laughs> Thomas, how about you? Yeah, I, I pretty much agree with what Mike said about the epic feel of it. Um, when this episode ended, though, my first reaction was, oh, it was too short. I wanted it to keep going. <laughs> I believe yeah. it's only 39, 40 minutes. Um, it definitely felt, again, like to me, like a live action Rebels episode yeah. in certain aspects. <laughs> and that that was really um, 
hitting it out of the park for me. And I just loved I it's funny, for this episode, I loved the character moments more than the action. Mm-hmm. Like even you know, and I love a good Star Wars action sequences as much as the next guy, but I those quiet moments with the characters were what really stood out for me in this episode. And I feel like they're really getting these characters right. You know, obviously Dave Filoni is writing the show, but the the actors are doing a, a really spectacular job. I think I said it last time that you can tell that they've gone through the animated shows and studied their characters so that they know, you know, so it, it feels it feels consistent to me. It feels like it's these same characters just at a different point in their lives. And I'm just so excited to see more of this story. Yeah, uh, I agree. And I would say this was probably my favorite episode out of the three. Um, And, you know, now that we've gotten some time to let this series soak in, um, we're hearing and reading a number of things about, you know, pacing and plot and characters and what everyone's thoughts are on those. Um, well, so far, m- talking about the characters, you know, the show has given us, I would say, three main leads, Ahsoka, Hera, and Sabine. Um, and the big bad so far um, that has been on screen is Morgan Elsbeth. Um, her main minions include Shin. Obviously, we have Balin Skull and um, this really weird, mysterious character that um, is behind a mask. Yeah. With a million theories about who he might be. Um, We've also gotten, it was cool to get that uh, appearance from Mon Mothma this time around. Um, Male characters, I would include Thrawn there. Um, He's like not on screen, but he's the ultimate menace and he's constantly being discussed. Um, we've also got Ezra Bridger not on screen, but being discussed. And then, of course, Balin Skull, who is probably my favorite so far as far as the new characters. Um, and I would put Hu Yang in there, too. Right. So um, one of our other crew members on Secrets of Star Wars, Catherine Laffrey, she had this great comment as we were all talking behind the scenes. And she said, I remembered the stories from my grandmother about how she and her sisters went to war during World War II. And for her, much like Hera, had to raise her sons after the war with no father. And Catherine said, this is post-war Star Wars. Many men are gone. So I thought we could talk about this gender balance, I guess you could say, um, because it has been brought up um, and I don't know if it's new, but um, at, at least, you know, talking about it from Catherine's perspective, I'm wondering what you guys think. Do you think this is a reflection on post-war time frame or um, does it have any other, you know, origin? Are you noticing it? Just any any of your thoughts on that? I um should I start Thomas? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I I uh I know it's a, I know it's an issue for for folks out there and I you know and so I I've tried to think of this from the standpoint of well, two things I would say. First of all, um I know that it's a, there's there's a broader I think kind of concern in our current cultural milieu that a few people have. Um and I know it's 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 a it's an issue that I I do think can be problematic in a lot of media and a lot of movies and stuff like when it's done directly as some sort of, you know, um, rebuke of, you know, the, the, the importance of the distinction of, of male and female, he created them, right? Like we look at this from a Catholic perspective, you know, we, we of course all should, you know, be approaching this from the uh, standpoint of, you know, God has made us unique and different. Like we're not the same. You know, men and women are not the same, but that doesn't mean one's better than the other. And that's, I think, the mistake a lot of people make with all these, this, this whole thing, right, in our society is that if, if, if something, if A and B are different, one has to be better than the other. That does not follow. And Dr. Peter Crave does a lot of good stuff on that, for those who want to check that out. Um, but, but when it comes to, like, uh, Star Wars specifically, my personal view is, like, I definitely don't think it's 
as in your face at all as it is in a lot of other things, quite frankly, <laughs> that I see out there. Um, you know, that sort of someone has to be up and someone has to be down. But with this show, I, I just kind of disagree, I think, um, with those who have been particularly concerned about you know, this it's entirely female centric and there's no man. I mean, Angela, you did a great job listing. I was writing it down as you were doing it, too, before you started. I was like, looks pretty even just because you haven't seen some of these guys. Like, like you said, we haven't seen Thrawn, haven't seen Ezra except in the hologram. Right. Um, and, you you know, Zeb, Zeb's out there. Zeb has been introduced in Mandalorian, you know, so I, I'm not I don't really think it's that big of a deal, quite frankly. Um, but to the greater point that Catherine brought up, I think there's a, a, a neat idea there. And I wonder if they'll pursue that. Um, but we, I think, I, I feel like we see it most directly, uh, with, with Hera and, and we mm -hmm. know Kanan, like they haven't mentioned Kanan. They've shown Hera, they've shown her son. She says that she's lost people. We all know that. I do wonder for the casual observer who's not familiar with rebels, which right. I feel like a lot of people watching this have seen rebels. Or have a, like my wife has me, who she's very <laughs> patient with. It's like, okay, well, hon, you have to know. Oh, this is perfect. There's this guy, Kanan. I happen to have this action figure of Kanan literally right <laughs> next to me. That was so perfect. You guys can't see this, but here he is. It's like, he's not been referenced. You know, Angela kind of talked me down a little bit. I got all excited earlier. I was like, maybe he'll be in a flashback. But she made a good <laughs> point that... That would that might diminish a little bit. So, um, so yeah, I think that could be part of it that we had this the death toll. Um, I think in Star Wars in general, it seems like there's a little more balance between men and women in the in the broader lore, right? Like serving and fighting and and, and perhaps dying. Um, so I don't know percentages, you know, but one way or another, you know, we, we all these people have lost a lot of people, and um, and so far we're just focused on like Ahsoka and Sabine and Hera. Like, what, I don't really see what the big deal is with that. You know, there's lots of other people, but they're who the story's about right now. So I. I just don't think it's that big of a deal, personally. I definitely felt Kanan's absence in that scene with Hera and Jason. And I, it was obviously intentional. And that's the thing. I, I think the what some people are missing is that the absence of some of these, you know, prominent male characters is intentional. It's part of the story. It's part of these characters' arcs. Hera is having to deal with being a single mom raising a kid who's probably going to be force sensitive and she's right. not. And it's like, how, how do I, how am I doing? How am I going to do this? You know? And he wants, he's expressed that he wants to be a Jedi. And of course, Sabine's whole arc is about finding Ezra, you know, her brother figure and bringing him home. His absence is baked into the story. And yeah, I, I just didn't, have a problem with it. It's it's for me, it was very much similar to that scene in, I believe it's season two of the Mandalorian where Bo-Katan and Cara Dune and Fennec Shand, oh, yeah. other Mandalorian who I can never remember her name, but they, they all Cosca Reeves, Cosca Reeves. Thank Why you. Why did I remember that? <laughs> yes. Oh, but man. They, they go through Gideon fan point. Ship. Right. <laughs> fan points for you, Mike. I, 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 I am down one point. But no, yeah, they, they storm the bridge and it's this awesome action sequence. Yeah. And I didn't, until it was over and several minutes over, I went, oh, yeah, that was an all, that was an all women's yeah. scene, action scene. That's awesome. You know, I was like, my sisters. <laughs> it took me a yeah. while to realize that because the scene is so good it's yeah. like it, it to me it doesn't matter if these if you know it's an all-male action scene all-female action scene what the ratio of characters is i'm interested in the characters themselves are they cool characters are, are they part of a cool story do they have interesting character arcs you know, so for me, this show has just been, you know, and in the first two episodes, yeah, I didn't realize till it was over. I was like, oh, yeah, our three major leads are all Star Wars ladies. And that's pretty cool because I like all three of these characters. And so, yeah, I I, I just didn't pick up on that concern that some people have. And I just think people need to be patient and wait for this story to play out and to, to see where we're really going with this. Yeah, thanks for your thoughts on that. Um, I I think we'll we'll get into it as we're talking, but certainly each of those three have 
a an arc that we're seeing develop before our eyes. And it's fairly early. I mean, we haven't seen very much screen time with them, yet we already have this sense that they're all on some kind of journey and they all have things that they're internally, you know, feeling um, and and working on. So that's that's what's making it interesting for me as well. Um, when we begin the episode, we get this great music and Thomas and I were really kind of Ooh, geeking out yeah. about that, <laughs> um, <laughs> that uh, you hear those wood blocks, right? Those Japanese wood blocks. Those, oh, is uh, that what those are? Yoshigi, yeah. yeah. Nice. Um, at, and those are used, which this is kind of a tie into the gender thing, too, I thought was interesting. So those are used in a variety of different settings. Um, those can be used in like a children's puppet show. It can be used in sumo wrestling. They use them. But also um, Kabuki Theater is really, I think, was probably the idea that Kevin Kiner had. Mm-hmm. And Kabuki Theater is the traditional um, theater per- dramatic performance art in Japanese culture. And for at least a few hundred years now, um, has been performed by only male actors. So it was kind of cool to get this like training sequence at the beginning of a show. And by the mm-hmm. way, those instruments are typically used to like get people's attention at the beginning of a performance so it was really neat to kind of have that tie in um (laughs) and then we have these two like female leads that are um you know we're seeing and so I thought that was sort of a neat connection but I don't know if the gender thing really came into it but just a coincidence I suppose well, and Ahsoka, um, Ahsoka's wardrobe, and I, I, I'm not an expert. I just, in terms of visual cues, and look, I'm 39 years old. I, I, I am fascinated by Japanese culture, but most of my doorway into it was through Ninja Turtles. Okay, <laughs> and I'm not ashamed of that because I'm not alone in that. Right, <laughs> you know. But, but the fact is, there's like certain motifs and things, like you know, just, just again, like I wouldn't know the names for the different sort of articles of clothing, but Ahsoka's. Uh, wardrobe seems to me very influenced by a samurai kind of, you know, uh, samurai films and like a lot of Kurosawa mm-hmm. stuff, which he comes up all the time, of course, in Star Wars. I think that there's a real homage going on here <laughs> with a lot of this. And even in the, the, the uh, sabers they were using or the training sabers, the wooden ones, I forget the name of those. I actually have one of those around here somewhere, but I thought that was kind of cool to see them show up. Right. Yeah, those are those are actually kendo um, practice swords or right. um that's what's used in kendo and um i was going to bring this up later but yeah let's talk about the the training sequence because um the the kendo was actually um the original inspiration behind uh lightsaber fighting so when george lucas was thinking about how do, how do i want to style the lightsabers he thought about like Earl flynn and like the you know, the early um, fencing, you know, on on screen, but also he thought about kendo. And the cool thing about kendo is, I guess, some people think of it as like doing samurai stuff without actual swords. But um, what I've learned over time is that um, kendo is more of a spiritual um, thing. It's it's Ken means sword and do means like way kind of like with a spiritual connotation. So um, it's really about like training your mind. And I think this is something that we are, I mean, it's really underscored in, in this episode with Sabine. Um, Do you think that she is going to be able to wield the force? I mean, what are you like, are are you on Hu Yang's side or are you on Ahsoka's side? Like, what is your vision for Sabine and the Force right now? <laughs> you might need to start on this, Thomas. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I, I still... <laughs> like what Ahsoka says to Hu Yang later in the episode where she says, I don't need Sabine to be a Jedi. I need her to be herself. And I, I sort of agree with Ahsoka on that, that even if it turns out Sabine is is not sensitive enough with the force to actually wield it. I think that this training in regimen in terms of discipline and, and calming her sort of natural Mandalorian fiery impulsiveness, you know, is, is, is good for her. It's, it's good to have this 
this training, this balance. I think it's it's molding her into a more well-rounded person, into a more effective hero. And I think anyone could, you know, Force-sensitive or not, benefit from some, in-universe, in benefit from some aspects of the Jedi training. And I, I just think, yeah, I, I personally just want Sabine to remain a Mandalorian who, you know, has some Jedi skills, you know, part of the Jedi skill set, but I don't necessarily want her to be an out-and-out Force wielder. I also like that Ahsoka says that, you know, the Force is in all living things, that everyone has the potential, it's just that not everyone unlocks it. And to me, that jives more with the way the Force was explained in George Lucas's original trilogy. I agree. I, I, I'm, I guess I'm sort of just patiently awaiting a little more data <laughs> with because I wrote on the side here I wrote I just wrote down like I know other people can talk about this too like what is a Jedi <laughs> kind of at this point because I because it's like is it not to be sort of like flip with this but it's like is it you know you're a member of the club that doesn't exist anymore or you're which is neat because because of course the you know Japanese back to the Japanese culture thing like the the sort of um the Ronin motif with all this this idea of like you know you had this this order um I'm on this by the way I'm on this bent because I finally decided to to get down to business and start watching Kurosawa films but I <laughs> but I started with the full like three and a half hour long version of Seven Samurai <laughs> which wow. was a little I, I very much enjoyed it but I had to do it in several sittings mm -hmm. but um. But but it's it's just so different. And it was like this this whole like world of you have this code within you, you know, but like the the exterior order or, or sort of, of chain of command that you were committed to is gone. But what do you do with it? And I mean, like, obviously, like that's Ahsoka through and through, um, you know, it was Obi-Wan in some ways. Like it, it's a theme that shows up throughout Star Wars, of course. But now I'm just wondering, it's like, yeah, that's part of it. But. Because you could say that with with uh, Sabine, there's like you know, she's the Mandalorian thing too. Like she's got a connection there. They're in disarray, you know. And so, but I keep getting hung up on the whole like this force wielding thing because it's like, you know, like the forces in everybody. Like you were just saying, Thomas. Um, I think that was very like original trilogy, right? This idea, yeah. this inspiration, like it could be anybody. But then George, like, that's what's so weird to me is George himself. It wasn't somebody else. It's like mm -hmm. George himself who did this whole midichlorian thing <laughs> with which, I mean, it's real. It's there. They've, they haven't really talked about it much in a while. Like, you know, we have Moff Gideon trying to tap into that, you know, ostensibly for his cloning. The Emperor's doing that. I just I feel like I don't really know what the where mm. we're at now with that, if that makes sense. So it's like, right. like, can Sabine tap into it or is it no because she's down here on midichlorians as who yang is like you are the least qualified <laughs> person who's ever done this like okay can i not do it uh, you know what's the rule so yeah i don't know i i think personally i think it'd be really cool if she's like got this access and this legacy and this part of her story but but i don't want to see her like oh the cup flies into her hand one day like <laughs> yeah. oh i just i don't know i just kind of feel like that wouldn't in the long run, I don't think I'd be ultimately happy with that. That's yeah, kind of where was, I'm at now. I was kind of on yeah. the edge of my seat with that yeah. scene where she was trying <laughs> to get the cup because I was like, please don't let her like yeah. have any, you know. Um, I was waiting. Like, you guys remember the end, end of Inception when like the top just moves a tiny bit? Like I was I was waiting for something like that, like the cup, just a little like, like, did she do it? I don't know. Yeah. But even then, I think would have been inconsistent, you know. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I just think that there's this thing in modern Star Wars where everybody's got to be a Jedi. <laughs> like, like one of the things that bugs me, and I, I will defend the sequel movies as as fun to watch. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that really bugged me is that they decided to make Finn force sensitive, and I liked having Finn just be every man. Right. I didn't need him to be a Jedi, and then they're like, oh, he, you know, he can use the force. I'm like, oh. They don't really build it up too much either. They're just like, here, it's a thing now. Like, it's a yeah. thing now. And I'm like, why? Okay. I'm like, it doesn't need to be. I'm like, but, you know, there's there's kind of a cool factor, I guess, to it. So, mm -hmm. oh, this is a cool character. We'll make them be able to use the force. But we've also seen Sabine go through some of this training before in Rebels, where she did 
saber training, very similar right. to what she's doing with Ahsoka with Kanan. But as she says, you know, she's she's gotten slack. She hasn't been training in a while. And so she kind of has to learn the basics all over again. Do you guys think if Ray builds the Jedi Order back up substantially so they don't have a vocation crisis anymore, they can have like <laughs> simplex Jedi, you know, no. like where, they, where, where like they wouldn't let like Father, uh, like Solanus Casey, like Blessed Solanus Casey, they're like, OK, you know, but like you can't hear confessions, you know, or like we don't trust you with these things. You can be the doorman, you know all the while well, this person is a powerhouse of sanctity maybe there's like jedi who's like okay you can't throw stuff across the room with the force but like you're really wise you know or mm. i don't in know legends they actually had that in one of the first star wars novels i ever read there was this thing where like obi-wan was was you know this was before he was with qui-gon as a padawan he was worried he was going to get shuffled off to the jedi agricultural corps which is for like <laughs> low kind of low talent Jedi who can kind of speak to plants and help them grow with the force, but they don't get to be warriors and have a lightsaber and stuff. And he's like, I don't want to do it. Everybody listening to this with any family who are farmers, we are not. <laughs> no, 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 I'm just saying this no, no, was so funny. This was a, a, oh my gosh. a rather humorous episode in this that Star so Wars funny. novel that I read where they're like, oh, you don't get to be, you know, a warrior. Instead, you'll wow. speak to plants or whatnot. So there have been, you know, Jedi who don't do the whole lightsaber. Yeah. And and that's the thing, though, in the book, they they, they tell Obi-Wan, you know, the agricultural core is really important. It yeah. helps feed it <laughs> helps feed the galaxy. Uh-huh. But of course, right. Obi-Wan like wants to jet around and fight bad guys. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, what I thought was interesting to kind of bring it back directly is that Ahsoka tells Hu Yang that the Jedi's methods that he says have you know, worked for millennia, ultimately failed. She says they yeah. failed. And she and that's when she says, I just need Sabine to be herself. So I I'm really curious to get more into Ahsoka's head as we're going forward because, you know, she if she thinks the Jedi's methods ultimately failed, I'm wondering, is that reflecting obviously that's reflecting on how the Jedi Council was working during the Clone Wars, et cetera, et cetera. You know, how they treated her, Anakin, you know. Right. Um, but mm. I I wonder if she's gotten to this point where she's just questioning everything. Like, you know, when when you have that kind of a crisis and you just, you just, you have a crisis of faith, for example. I've known people, you know, been hurt by yeah. their religious faith or religious church, whatever. You, it's easy for that person to just start questioning the whole thing, everything I was ever taught, right? So it's like, if Ahsoka's in this position, what is she going to teach Sabine that she did learn from the Jedi that ultimately she has, I guess, distilled down to a reliable method, right? That she believes is going to work because a lot of you know what she's telling us in the dialogue of this episode a lot of her training quote-unquote is sort of vague it's like well you'll find out you know <laughs> and it's up to everybody and so I, I don't know do you guys think that's sort of where she is where she's coming from do you think that she's got a method and will eventually find out I mean or do you think she's just yeah. sort of in this floating, like mystical, well, let's just kind of open ourselves up to the force and see what happens sort of a thing? I wonder if it's almost the latter. Yeah, because I, I the only thing I would say on that is just that I've wondered about this myself because like she, of course, says, if I've got this right, I think I do. The, the, the first episode of this, the first scene, which totally, by the way, I, I don't know if we've talked about this. Uh, I didn't get to follow up on episodes one and two yet from um, our coverage for, for this podcast. Um, uh, whoever was on the last few episodes, but I, there's so many prequel vibes here, which makes sense, I think, because we're, we're connecting across a huge arc here. She goes all the way back into that prequel timeline. Um, but, you know, that first scene when uh, Balin and Shin show up on, I th- they were on home one, weren't they? I think they like that's no, a return of the a Jedi. Was it different? Okay. Came later. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. I was like, oh, man, we're getting real close here. But they show up there. 
clearly like there, there's that like kind of episode one vibe to it, right? The Jedi supposedly coming, but um, and that scene that we all saw in the trailer with Balin, you know, we are no Jedi. That's exactly what she said right before she fought Vader in Rebels. You know, when she's like, I am no Jedi. But when Dave introduced her into live action, the episode's title is The Jedi. <laughs> now, I, I don't know, like you could argue like that's what what Mando thinks of her as like ever like the outsiders who don't know her story sure. would assume she's a Jedi. But I don't she's not really like she's flying around with a Jedi droid. She's following Jedi protocol on a lot of things. So I, I don't know. I, 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 maybe she doesn't know. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. you know. I'll wait. I have, I have a, a follow up thought on the trust thing. I'll, I'll wait because I know we're going to talk later about the space battle. But um, but I think that's a, obviously a big piece of it. Right. You know, she's 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 got some some baggage <laughs> as anyone would. So I feel like she she can't just leave it behind her. Uh, and here's what I hope. I just want to throw this out there. I mm-hmm. hope that there's something similar going on with Balin. Because mm-hmm. yes. I'm really yeah. intrigued with his character. Like he, he is probably other than Thrawn's return and Ezra's return. The thing I'm most excited for is like, who is this dude? Yeah. Um. Yeah. So that, <laughs> I guess, is what I'd say. Yeah, I think this show is going to delve a lot into Ahsoka's sense of identity as a Jedi or not. You know, I mean, she's obviously she's connected with Luke Skywalker. We know that from the Book of Boba Fett, but she didn't stay with him to help rebuild the temple. She's doing this kind of uh, Ronin thing or from uh, almost like some of the new, the new high Republic books. There's this, there's, there are Jedi called way seekers who kind of go out on their own and do their own missions in the far corners of the galaxy without a lot of, you know, oversight from the council. And of course now there's no council at all. There's just Luke and maybe, you know, a few others scattered about the galaxy. But I think Ahsoka is still processing where she stands and you know and I, I'm i still a little bit like uncertain about like was it that the 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 Jedi formally accepted her back but she said no right right, right. yeah so it's like in a way she both is and isn't a Jedi mm-hmm. the Jedi recognized her as a Jedi again but she didn't recognize herself as one but uh, but yet she calls Sabine her Padawan and stuff. So, yeah, I, I think that Ahsoka's on kind of her own journey of discovery to see where she fits. As as, as Ray says in the sequels, where do I fit in all this? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, let's fly over to Hera's situation. Um, and <laughs> it was um, really good to see that Mike was going to be on this episode because I know Previously, you had talked about how much your daughter connected with the character named Kaz from the animated series Star Wars <laughs> Resistance. AKA I thought you might bring that up. <laughs> Kazuda Giono. And yeah. his dad is on the show now oh. <laughs> as a New Republic senator. So that was a really neat surprise. Did you yeah. enjoy that? <laughs> I did. And honestly, what was so funny was there was some weird, like my wife and I were watching it. Right as Hera's going in, and I don't know if it was like, you know, my wife asked if I shut the garage door, or I asked her if she wanted, like, more popcorn. Like, there was, someone said something and missed, and then I had to catch her on the rewatch when uh, that lieutenant or whoever, I forget who it was, who was telling Hera before she goes in, yeah, the senators are there with the with the chancellor, and, you know, Senator Ziono's with her, you know, and mm-hmm. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, here we go. So that was, it was kind of a a fun time. So longtime listeners to the show know that I've watched all of Resistance and I gave it a good shot and I have some good things to say about it, but I wasn't super impressed with it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was definitely my least favorite animated you know, series for a number of reasons. And, and I but there was a lot that that was neat to try to connect. Right. You know, the, the sort of get you prepped or kind of get you connected into that broader. I, I think it fleshed some things out for the sequel trilogy really well. And of course, the main character in uh, Resistance Kaz uh, is the son of this same senator. So mm-hmm. I'm assuming Kaz would just be like a little toddler or whatever at this point of the, of the timeline, you know, or, or maybe not even born yet. I don't know. He's because he's pretty young in resistance, which is essentially contemporary with the sequel. It's like a few months before the sequel trilogy or something. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that was cool, though, seeing him. And uh, he did not leave a very good impression on me. <laughs> 
Well, he, I remember him <laughs> saying his dad was strict in yeah. the animated series. And I was like, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, but, but Hera too, like challenging him. Like that one line that hit me real hard was that whole, like, did you find the war? And he's like, no. And she's like, just waited to see who, you know, who <laughs> see, basically yeah. who got out on top. I'm like, that was Ouch. interesting. <laughs> right. Because I, I've not seen resistance. My brother has, mm-hmm. but based on what he's told me about it, it's interesting now that Kaz, I understand that Kaz starts out his journey as a New Republic pilot, but mm-hmm. then his dad really wants him to follow in the family business and get into politics and be a senator, right. but he ends up defecting to the resistance. But now mm-hmm. I understand why his dad made him join the New Republic Navy first before going into politics, because he has that kind of question that's a mark, good point too. that question mark on his record where it's like i, oh, yeah, I didn't I realize i was not a veteran i didn't really fight mm-hmm. yeah war, and some people held that that's against him point. so he's like i'm mm-hmm. gonna have my son have not, none of those issues <laughs> yeah that's a really good point um and you know speaking of Hera, this was a scene where we really saw the general in her right like if you know mm. somebody in military or law enforcement and i know mike you're um yeah, among those uh, ranks where, you know, personality can be really warm and witty, like when you're with friends and family and stuff. But when it comes down to business and somebody like insults their competence, it's like no more Mr. Nice Guy, you know. <laughs> can I tell you guys a real quick story? I'm sorry. This, this, my, my brother, my dear brother, God, God rest his soul. He, he was in the army as well. He passed away a couple of years ago. And uh, uh, he told a story where he, he was an intel guy also. But he was he was like a senior um, or like a like a middle uh, sort of range uh, NCO. He was like a, a staff sergeant and <laughs> very, very skilled. He knew he knew the streets. He, he knew their their targets, all this kind of stuff. He knew he knew the mission. And every now and then you have, you know, an officer, you have, might have a colonel. He might have someone who's, you know, just not like he's playing some kind of game or he's not quite really seeing it the way that, that you do from the, from the ground. And he's trying to impress the higher ups and general Ray Odierno was, was in charge in Iraq at the time. This, this, I think he was a four star and my brother's in a briefing and the colonel's there and the general's there and they're briefing the general and the colonel is giving all of this kind of just nonsense, try to impress the general kind of thing. And my brother's just losing his, losing his temper. <laughs> and you know, the colonel's of course higher than him, but the general's the high guy and, the colonel gives this plan and my brother's just standing there and the general kind of looks at my brother and my brother just flat out says, I'm sorry, sir, that's, I'm sorry, that's the stupidest idea I've ever heard. <laughs> and he just said, and so I thought of him a little bit watching his frustration of like, yet like, you know, you have to, you know, you're, you're, you're a, you're a servant of, of the greater good. You know, you're, you're, here's your, your superiors. They have this chain of command, but sometimes it's hard mm-hmm. when you know the right thing and they're just, they're doing their thing and you're like, Ah, uh, did you fight in the war? Oh, I shouldn't have said that. You know? <laughs> so like, right. I, I just, yeah, that's, that's a real kind of, there are those moments where that, that can break out. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was good to see that with Hera. Yeah. Thomas, what, what else uh, struck you about the, the scene? Yeah. It, what struck me is that a couple of things is that, yeah, definitely that you see Hera's commitment to obeying the orders of the civilian leadership. You know, the new Republic is not a military junta. You know, it's right. the politicians who make the decisions. And, you know, as we would say in America, uphold the Constitution and the the military are the, the ser- servants of the civilian government. But you can definitely see that, like, she's yeah, she she's definitely not happy about this. And you can see what they're setting up, right? You can see how they're setting up for how the New Republic has these blind spots and sort of won't see the the first order festering out in the outer rim and in the unknown regions you know in in a way it makes i'm conflicted about it because at, in one sense it's kind of like you're like this was the rebellion you know and they fought and sacrificed just to put a sort of semi not very competent government <laughs> in charge i mean obviously Miles better than the empire totalitarian (laughs) fascist dictatorship. But you know, because of the sequels, it's going to fall to fascism again. Yeah. And, you know, and you're just like, it's like watching us a slow motion train wreck. In that way, (laughs) it's it's making Star Wars more, um, hewing closer to real history. 
but less mm-hmm. of that kind of fairy tale in space mm-hmm. that the original right. movies kind of were. And like, I'm, as a history buff, it's interesting. Like I said, mm-hmm. I'm conflicted yeah. about it. It's it's interesting to have it hue closer to history. But the lover of fairy tales in me is like, mm, I kind of liked that happy ending at the end of Return of the Jedi. <laughs> Well, if I can throw one more quick thing in, it's it's amazing to me because there's so many neat parallels. You can jump across all different conflicts here because I'm thinking like this kind of new republic, you know, you could imagine Thrawn shows up and there's like this Neville, Neville Chamberlain type approach of like, you know, well, let's hear him out. Ah, you know, and then like, yeah. and like, so I can, I can imagine this guy, well, you know, he makes some good points, you know, and there's some on the side like, <laughs> sit up. <laughs> It like don't you guys did you forget what happened ten years like you know come on but that right. isn't that what always happens I mean that's right. the story of ancient Israel good mm-hmm. gracious like you read the Old Testament like I'm always pulling my hair out the more I read the Old Testament because it's like <laughs> gosh yeah. nothing yeah. changes Ecclesiastes was right um well where, it's like you know, looking you just, in a mirror isn't it it yes. is I mean, right? yeah. <laughs> you get you get that that but I think that's the point too is is that yeah. for us like from a faith perspective right you know I, I I keep looking at this where it's like some people might be like oh this is derivative and we've just done this before and I'm like that's the point <laughs> it's like that's good storytelling because we never mm-hmm. really learn the lesson we don't ever really progress like it's it's the mm-hmm. drama of sin and redemption in every generation <laughs> it's like the you know? in history the players change but the plot is kind of basically yeah. the same or the, right. the old saw that like history doesn't really repeat itself but it does rhyme yeah you know? mm-hmm. and we have these sort of similar things that happen i wonder though if the new republic will eventually get their churchill you know, somebody, <laughs> maybe it'll be hera like you know i like, would love to see literally great? winston churchill in star wars <laughs> <laughs> that won't happen maybe it'll be Jopper. <laughs> Yeah. Oh I'll God. have more Please. World War II yes. connections though later when we get to the space fight. But yes. well, let's get into that because um, you know there <laughs> it was great to to finally get that, um, and I think it felt very much like something we would see in Rebels or Clone Wars, especially oh, with yeah. Ahsoka leaving the ship and yes. you know <laughs> using her lightsabers in space, <laughs> literally. Um, in the I had a huge stupid grin on my face oh, during just... that whole scene. Oh. Yeah. Well, I mean, and uh, the other thing that I liked was that um, intentionally, I think this was that Sabine is still rusty, right? And we see mm-hmm. that. We see that she's still struggling. Although I really felt for her saying, oh, you got rid of my presets. It's like, you get rid of my shortcuts and stuff on my software. Forget about it. So, <laughs> um, yeah, but OK, so Thomas, what what did you want to bring up? Um, I don't know what they're called, but those little snub fighters that um, Shin and, and her squadron had yeah. looked like almost pre-World War II kind of 1920s, 1930s monoplanes. That yeah. sort of generation of fighters before, say, like the Spit, like the Spitfire or the Emmy One Hundred and Nine, you know, the classic yeah. World War II fighters. These look, yeah, these looked very interwar period. You know, all they were missing was the propeller prop in the right. And I, I liked that actually. They, they almost kind of looked like um, U.S. Navy Wildcats from the beginning of the Pacific War. They kind of had that mm-hmm. squat shape with the stubby wings and i just and star wars has always i mean george lucas like looked at you know you know world war ii gun camera footage Mm -hmm. when he was storyboarding out the death star attack in in the first movie you know there's always been world war ii influences in star wars the millennium falcon having that kind of and even ahsoka ship having that kind of b-29 you know cockpit Mm -hmm module looking and it's like there's always been so much visual world war ii reference i mean down to the fact that we have stormtroopers like the nazi stormtroopers but i just i always love it as a world war ii geek when star wars gets like gets kind of in your face about how world war ii in space it is well and i know i know uh episode eight you know is is very divisive for a lot of people but uh folks have probably heard this but you might have forgot i i've never it's it's just stuck in my head for some reason but that opening scene in uh the last jedi when they have the bombers come in over the dreadnought mm-hmm. and ryan johnson like they specifically talked about how the, the the idea the aesthetic idea was the dreadnought yeah they're in space it's a ship but it's meant to give the feel of 
a massive carpet bombing over a stationary World War II, you know, uh, site or yeah. like, you know, you, you know, you bring your B-52s in, you know, you get them in. It's it's like you're probably mm-hmm. not going to make it home and you're over top this gigantic munitions you know, factory in Germany that you managed to somehow get over as opposed to a ship at sea. And boy, like when you look at it that way, like that was so well done. I think with that and like the the clothes and stuff. So the, yeah, I got that vibe too here. And I can't, maybe you guys remember, I wanted to ask about this when you brought the ships up. Is there something, there, is there something in universe we've seen? Like I, I can't place it. Um, like Shin's ship in particular, in particular, I feel like there's something in universe we've seen though. And I can't think of what it looks like. <laughs> Many people have referenced uh, yeah. Grievous's snub fighter, mm, the soulless that, one, Yes. As looking. That's but it. I don't think it's, it's the well, same. It might no. be made by like the same in-universe manufacturer. <laughs> that's like, the thing I was thinking of. Model, but like, yeah, but it, I yeah, yeah. it definitely evokes Grievous's fighter for me. That was yeah. the one. Yeah. I couldn't think of what exactly. It's like, it's something in that category. Okay, cool. <laughs> Thank yeah, you. Yeah. And, and from what I gathered from this scene, it seems like the Eye of Scion is meant to be ridden to another galaxy. Like they can literally like ride this as a vehicle to another galaxy where they will find Thrawn, presumably dock his Star Destroyer to it, and then bring it back to the galaxy that right. we know. Is that kind of what you guys are picking up on as well or what you're theorizing? Or are they going to make a ship here? I, I don't think so, because I, I like it's all about the hyperdrives and how this can make a this this ring can make a jump um, as opposed to something like a Stargate type thing. Right. Where I'm right. Opening this portal and he's going to come back in. My my biggest question with it is how does this I'm curious about how like Elspeth, like how does Morgan Elspeth have contact with him? Like it's, it seems through some sort of force ish night sister thing. Yeah. But Dreams. why does Thrawn that- have like what's his connection with that? He's he's been interested in the Force, but he talked about how it's always eluded him, and mm-hmm. I can't I can't stop thinking about like you know he and he's he's the whales are you know wrapped around him, and he Ezra's wounded, and they make the jump. Well, what happens on the other side of that jump? Yeah, you know, like did is Ezra still with him? Did he get away? Like you know, I'm maybe, so excited to find out. Maybe Thrawn you know, this is ten has, years later like, almost somehow controlled Ezra and Ezra is like you know like using the force to send these signals to Morgan but like yeah I I don't know (laughs) I'm just coming up with this on the spot (laughs) well and and I I mean the fact is like the the news um Timothy's on I was I was like is yeah Zon Thrawn that rhymes for some reason I thought the Timothy's on the new Thrawn books like they're I need to re reread and re-listen to those because there, I mean, there is canon here, of course, for like what he's all about, because at the end of the day, Thrawn's not ultimately about the Empire. He's ultimately about the Chiss ascendancy. And I that has to fit into this somehow. So I, I'm just yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I haven't talked to father in a while. Father, father Fett and I need to. Get get our Thrawn on Game here. Thrawn right, yeah. <laughs> oh, and now one quick thing about the the Eye of Scion itself, and this is kind of like this is kind of like a nitpick thing, but it's like, what is with the the bad guys in Star Wars and always trying to use turbo lasers to take out small ships, which we know <laughs> turbo lasers are not good at. They, they never put a decent point defense grid on these right. on these giant. <laughs> super weapons they're just like take it out with turbo lasers i'm like those yeah. are for taking out other capital ships and and of course morgan's turbo lasers don't hit a thing and so but they hey, always think it will she's standing there like they're so cocky so like smug mm. yes yeah, was like i'm gonna get him like and i like I now know. that the turbo lasers another kind of visual world war ii reference the lasers just don't go off infinitely into space they kind of <laughs> explode into like world war ii like puffs of flat yeah and i'm like that's cool i've never seen that before yeah yeah i i maybe it has to do with power like they just like Mm. having the big gun you know like it's not about strategy it's just about power (laughs) even though i would have disputed it in 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 like episode i think it was in episode eight it looked cool though to see the arc Remember yeah. like when they were shooting, it was like uh, going down. I'm like, well, oh, yeah, yeah. Ah. It's like, I'm not a physicist and that's not what this is about because <laughs> it's, it's a space opera. It's not strictly yeah. sci-fi, but it looked cool. <laughs> There's definitely a rule of cool. When it comes to Star Wars. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yes. Okay. So um, 
I know this we've we're almost like out of time. I'm like totally amazed at that. But let's, <laughs> I want to talk about Balin Skull because, I, you know, he doesn't really say much and literally does not like move. I don't think like he's just standing in the same one spot. But but that face like his his countenance and the camera just stays on him for a while at the end. Is he planning something? Is he sensing Ahsoka's presence? Is he having thoughts about his past? Like, what is his deal? Do you have any theories about Balin Skull at this point? I'm just, I'm, I'm smiling because, so, uh, I don't know. At this point, uh, you know, at least in, the, in, in terms of our, our experience here on Secrets of Star Wars, you know, Angela's like a sister to me, so I feel like I have to, I just have to pick on you a little bit sometimes. I've been waiting for this for a long time. I have my 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 Snoke <laughs> right here uh, because Snoke figure. Yeah. my little Snoke figure. I In always gold robe, I, I always find a way to bring this up, but I, I could not <laughs> believe that this opportunity arose. And I, I honestly didn't think of it when I was watching the show, though. But I saw a lot of people online pointing out that it looks like Balin has maybe an obsidian ring. Like Snoke has, I caught which that. could be a connection to Mustafar. Like this is all speculation, but but in that, I, I heard someone online that, that made a really interesting point that I think would be kind of cool if something bears out with this, with possibly a Knights of Ren connection with him, which would be neat for sequel continuity. And the Knights do exist in canon at this point, mm-hmm. and there's a whole thing with them in the comics. I'm not super familiar with, uh, but whether or not he's he's affiliated with them. Uh, as I said earlier, I, I really think that there's an opportunity here to have, I think there there is a clear, you know, they've shown it already. Like there's a clear complexity with his character. Uh, most especially, I thought, drawn out at the end of episode two, where he's in the hologram. That was right. really neat, you know, where she's like, you know, he's like, she's coming. And it's almost like a tenderness. But then he's talking about, you know, to kill her would be a shame. You know, and she's like, what did she say? Sentimental. He's like, truth. You know, and it's like, what? This guy's not Sith, but he's totally okay just, like, killing people. You know, like, that's not an issue. They show that in the very first scene with him, which I thought was very interesting to start you off with this, like, wow, this guy's, like, off. Like, this is like Vader in the in the hallway in Rogue One. You know, it's the same scene, basically. And he wants but then, power. Like, we know that. Yeah. But, like, what's it for? So, I, I don't know. I mean, he's, he's a contemporary-ish of Anakin. He might be a little bit older. I'm not sure. Um... So I, I don't know. I, I, there's a chance we might get war of or um, not war of the worlds. Jeez. Uh, world. Maybe that too. World between worlds. Yeah. Um, is there something does he know about that? Does he want to change something in the past? Is there? you know, mm. I, it's it's hard to say what, what he's about, but it, I don't think it's it's clearly not like he, you know, has some personal vendetta against Ahsoka. I, I wonder if he's going to try to convince her of whatever he's into. So that that's what I, I would guess is coming up. Yeah, mm, that's I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure next episode we'll get probably one duel, most likely two duels. I think that's the might, from the trailer, yeah. the scene of them and those the, the Stonehenge type thing from the trailer. I think that's coming up in four would yeah. be my guess. We're going to get the duel between Balin and Ahsoka, and I think there'll be a duel going on at the same time between Sabine and Shin, because we've seen those yeah. in the trailers as well. And, and he mentions Anakin to her, you know, like, meant, which seems yes. like, you know, so that's coming like, up soon, that, too. I think, yeah, I really think that Balin and Anakin were kind of in the same age cohort mm-hmm. as, like, Jedi growing up in the temple, because he seems about that age that, that Darth mm-hmm. Vader would have been at that time. And he, and he mentions in, in one of the trailers, he says, few people lived to see what Anakin became. So he knows... Yeah. He knows that Anakin is Vader. And he and doesn't seem happy that Anakin was Vader, even though he's doing evil things himself. Yeah, exactly. Which... And that, like you said this, I think, towards the, the top of the program, Mike, but that he, to me, he's one of the most interesting characters because of, of how much we don't know about yeah. him. And that he's a very complex villain. And I like that he, again, he's not a Sith who just parrots the same old Sith ideology that they always do, you know, and... Mm-hmm. I, I I like him. I like I think we're going to see some interesting things with his relationship with his apprentice, because I don't know if they have the same goals. 
Right. Really, you know? And, yeah. and she's I, I definitely... Smell, I smell a redemption arc-ish for him, but not for her. Mm. And some yeah, conflict. She, I, I wonder. She's very intense. She has you know, <laughs> oh, yeah. her yeah. kind of feral... She always looks right. feral all the time. The mall you know, like, vibes unhinged. are clearly mm-hmm. there, which is oh, cool. The, the, I mean, that one scene a couple episodes ago where it's... She... It... It was like Maul in episode one where she's tracking with the probe droid. So, yeah, I think they're they're definitely trying to call back to him in a way. And Maul wasn't a traditional Sith either. He kind of went off the Sith path and started doing his own thing. So, yeah, it's these two characters, Balin and Shin, who are, to me, two of the most interesting because of how little we know about them. And, yeah, and and how are they going to fit in when Thrawn finally does return? You know, right. where's their place, you know, in right. this new empire or whatnot? Yeah, I almost wonder if, you know, maybe he's looking for Thrawn, but maybe he's really looking for Ezra because I just thought it was interesting that, I mean, he knew that Ahsoka's former uh, Padawan was Sabine Wren and where she was to be found. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when you said world between worlds just now, I mean, I feel like they're telegraphing that to us with like the logo and the the end credits scene and everything. It just feels so world between worlds to me. But I'm wondering if maybe, maybe, um, Balin knows about the world between worlds, but he wants access to it. So mm-hmm. maybe he knows that. Ezra was the last person to successfully get access to the world between worlds. And he knows Ahsoka has, and he knows that Sabine has something to do with it. You know how she helped with the artwork and everything. So I don't know. I'm just, I'm thinking now to myself, perhaps he wants the power to be able to control that. Like that's the unlimited power beyond your imagination that he was describing to Shin. I don't know. I heard someone speculate, does does he want to somehow stop Anakin's turn? Mm. Because everything went, and I was like, dude, that would be really interesting. And that would Mm -hmm. hit Ahsoka, like, yeah, right in the core. That would tempt her. Because what do you do? Right. What do you do? Do do you let him him do it? Because then, but like, look what's come from it, because Anakin was redeemed. But does, I don't know, maybe, maybe maybe he doesn't know that. I don't know. Yeah, it could be maybe a moment where... Ezra was tempted to, you know, save his master. And Ahsoka right. was the one who coached him to let him go. Right. And perhaps yeah. the tables will turn and she will be tempted to save her master. Wow. And maybe he will yeah. have to coach. I don't know. know she feels guilty that she wasn't there when he yep. needed her the most. Exactly. Wow. She still can't yeah. accept. Like she says to him, like, you know, I thought I was, you know, thinking of, you know, who you were to Vader or whatever. She says something, but like my master could never have been as vile as you. And then that moment with the whole like Ahsoka and like his mask is broken. And that's yeah. so traumatic for her. Like when she mm-hmm. really has to accept who he is, just like it was for Obi-Wan, right? In the, uh, the Kenobi show that was so brilliant to have it. I think it was the other side of the mask. The poor guy keeps getting his mask broken. But that, that, that yeah, that echo keeps showing up. The people have to face this like, you know, he did what he did. <laughs> you know, he made the choice right. he made. Yeah. Accepting I, that. I, can I ask you guys a quick, just a real quick question with, with the same thing is, is like, if you had to choose, I hope they do both. If you had to choose between a flashback or like a world between worlds thing, flashback ish with Anakin. The prequel era, Hayden Christensen, but filmed you know more recently versus like Force Ghost Anakin now, because I, I I'm kind of torn. I hope we get both, quite frankly. <laughs> but mm-hmm. um, I don't know. I don't know what we're gonna get with him. He, we know he's in the show, but I was just wondering what you guys thought. <laughs> I'm a sucker for a world between worlds, and actually, I have to say, I thought because everyone said, oh. In episodes one and two, we saw like everything in the trailer, and I had not. I had not seen any of the trailers because I wanted to keep myself spoiler free. So then I was like, oh, so now I can finally watch the trailer. Well, now I've seen everything that you guys have talked about. Like, I didn't know that Anakin was going to be in it and all these other things. Right. So I'm sort of like, man, why? (laughs) 
But anyway, <laughs> here we are. Um, Trailers always spoil stuff. <laughs> of course, that's that's kind no, of no. But I mean, at point. a certain point, I was getting annoyed, and I, I usually <laughs> watch all the trailers. And I was like, when they had the one with Anakin's voice over in it, I'm like, come on, guys, I didn't want to know that. Yeah, that's a huge. Yeah. yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. but I have to say, last last podcast, I did. I did say that I wanted to see them bring Jason Sindula into the yes. show. Yeah. And this episode he was there. So yeah. I win. Um <laughs> so Which I of course I, I, I of course continue. immediately was like, please don't let him join Luke's Jedi Academy. <laughs> yeah. so I'm always like going there, like, don't go over here. Oh. Yeah. So we we have yet to see where he's going. I'm sure their Disney is ready and willing to make more merchandise related totally. to Jason. <laughs> um, okay. So we've, we've got to wrap it up here, but yeah. um, if you had like one or two other things that you really wanted to mention before we wrap up, what would it be? Mike go. Uh, you had down music. And all I wanted to say is I said, clone wars meets rebels meets star Wars feature films meets Beethoven's seventh and a major. <laughs> Whoa, okay. <laughs> because that Ahsoka theme, that like, dun, 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 dun. I was like, that's yeah. Beethoven. I was like, that yeah. sounds like, so uh, there's a little similarity there, but I love the music and Harris theme. I, I love it. Like, I think Kevin Kiner for me, I love L- uh, Ludwig. I love all the, the music. I think Kevin is, is the most consistent, broader kind of tie in. And I think he's the best successor to, jo- or to uh, John Williams. So that's my piece. <laughs> Agreed. Um, Two things I'll mention. One, cool to see Purgles in live action. Yes. Oh my gosh. That, was, yes. that was really cool. Um, and my my one last prediction for next time is that despite the fact that uh, Hera has to obey her superiors in not bringing the fleet, I believe that Hera will swoop in with the ghost at the last minute to save uh, Ahsoka and Sabine <laughs> if their duels go sideways. Totally. Cool. <laughs> I like it. All right. Well, what about all of you out there? We want to hear your feedback, your questions, your comments, your observations, any Star Wars, but especially Ahsoka series. And shout out to Mark, who left us a comment on YouTube pointing out that the actress portraying Hera, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, is the real life spouse of Ewan McGregor as of 2022. So he said, talk about a Star Wars power couple. And I have to agree. That's amazing. (laughs) Um, so if you want to send us some stuff, you can email us starwars at sqpn.com or find StarQuest on Facebook at facebook.com slash StarQuest Media. Leave a comment or you can simply write to us on the app formerly known as Twitter at SQPN. Um, if you are interested in joining us on our online community on Discord, uh, we've got over 800 fans of SQPN over there. You can just go to sqpn.com slash discord to join us on our server. And we continue to cover the Ahsoka series. So subscribe to Secrets of Star Wars in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or on our SQPN YouTube channel. And previous episodes can be found at sqpn.com slash Star Wars. This StarQuest show was brought to you in part by Sam Castry Law, LLC focusing on business and entertainment law in the greater Chicagoland area and intellectual property law across the U.S. Learn more by visiting castrelaw.com, C-A-S-T-R-E-E-Law.com, licensed to practice in Illinois and before the United States Trademark Office. Phew, okay, that was a full discussion. So until next time (laughs) that we have to look forward to this, Thomas Salerno, thank you for joining the crew today. Thank you and may the force be with you. And Mike, thanks for sharing your Ahsoka super fandom as well. (laughs) My pleasure. Thanks so much. (laughs) And once again, I am the one in the middle, the Bendu, Angela Ciolana. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Wars on StarQuest. Here's another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy. Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World. Find the show wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash mysterious.